Hi, this is Carrie Ann Reed Brown, and this is Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American podcast. Hello, and welcome to a special bonus edition of Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American podcast. This episode is a recording of the virtual town hall, Caribbean Americans Vote, The Power of Our Vote and Voices in 2020, which occurred on Saturday, October 17. 2020 is a critical year for democracy and the Caribbean American community. Please continue to listen to this special bonus episode as the discussion helps Caribbean American voters understand the overall impact they can have on this critical 2020 election, understand all options for safe voting amid COVID-19 as well as their rights as a voter, have the resources on how to vote by November 3rd, and where to find nonpartisan information on candidates and ballot questions, as well as information on how to join the Get Out the Vote and Election Protection efforts, even if you're not eligible to vote. You'll hear from different speakers, including Congresswoman Representative Yvette Clark. All resources mentioned in this episode will be available in the description or show notes, as well as on the blog, carryonfriends.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Caribbean American Vote 2020. We are so excited to kick off this conversation today. And thank you so much for taking your time to join us to have a conversation with our community. Because who else not but not us that can kick off the conversation that is so very important today, given all that is happening and given the fact that we are 16 days out from Election Day. So my name is Deshauna. I will be moderating today's discussion. But before we kick into the discussion, you will hear from our host committee, and then you will also hear from Congresswoman Yvette Clark, a champion for our issues in Congress and for uh, everyone, champion for everyone's issues in Congress. But today we're claiming her and she's ours and we're surrounding her with a lot of love as she herself is on the go and getting the word out to get folks to the polls in the next 16 days. So we're gonna give it one more minute and then the next person you're gonna hear from is my fabulous uh, sister, Caribbean sister, Mona Lee, who will officially kick off the event. Thank you so much for joining us. Good afternoon and welcome again, everyone. As Deshauna mentioned, my name is Mona Lee Belazare and I am the regional youth leader for the Northeast USA on the Jamaica on the Global Jamaica Diaspora Youth Council. And I'm also a proud member of this wonderful host committee. Um, we want to thank our sponsors again, who were instrumental in promoting this event and amplifying the work being done to encourage our community to vote. Um, it's no secret that this election is an important one. It is also a critical year for our democracy and the Caribbean American community, not to mention that we're still grappling with the challenges of COVID-19, its impact on voting, our lifestyle, and our communities. And so in response, we came together in a short amount of time because we need to ensure that our community has all of the information needed to vote safely by November 3rd. We want our community to understand their rights as a voter. We want our community to know where to find nonpartisan information on candidates and their ballot uh, and the ballot questions because the presidential candidacy is not the only item on the ballot that impacts us and our community. Finally, we want our people to get involved in get out the votes and election protection efforts, even if they're not eligible to vote. 
One of the things that I'm so excited about is that we're not doing this work by ourselves or in a bubble. We have people on the ground doing the grassroots work, and we also have champions in Congress. And it is my esteemed pleasure to introduce one of our champions in Congress today, in Congress today, excuse me, Congresswoman Yvette Clark. Hailing from Central Brooklyn, Congresswoman Yvette Diane Clark feels honored to represent the community that raised her. She is the proud daughter of Jamaican immigrants and takes her passion for her Caribbean heritage to Congress, where she co-chairs the Congressional Caribbean Caucus and works to foster relationships between the United States and the Caribbean community. Clark has been a member of the Congressional Black Caucus since coming to Congress in 2007 and today chairs its Immigration Task Force while acting as an active member of its Census 2020 Task Force. As the representative of the 9th Congressional District of New York, Congresswoman Clark has dedicated herself to continuing the legacy of excellence established by the late Honorable Shirley Chisholm, the first Black woman and Caribbean American elected to Congress. In the 116th Congress, Congresswoman Clark introduced landmark legislation which passed in the House, the Dream and Promise Act. This legislation would give 2.5 million dreamers temporary protected status and deferred enforcement departure recipients a clear pathway to citizenship. Clark is one of the co-chairs of the Congressional Caucus on Black Women and Girls, which develops programs to support the aspirations of Black women of all ages. She is also the co-chair of Medicare for All Caucus, where she is fighting for the right to universal health care. Prior to being elected to the United States House of Representatives, Congresswoman Clark served on New York City Council, representing the 40th District. She succeeded her pioneering mother, former city council member, Dr. Una S.D. Clark, making them the first mother-daughter succession in the history of the city council. Congresswoman Clark is a graduate of Oberlin College and was a recipient of the prestigious APPAM Sloan Fellowship in Public Policy and Policy Analysis. She received the honorary degree of Doctor of Laws Honoris Causa from the University of Technology, Jamaica, and the honorary doctorate of public policy from the University of the Commonwealth Caribbean. Congresswoman Clark currently resides in the neighborhood where she grew up in the Flatbush neighborhood of Brooklyn. Congresswoman Clark, it is my honor and privilege to have you here. The floor is now yours. Let me thank you, Mona Lee, for such a wonderful introduction and to all of today's distinguished panelists, to all of our viewers and participants, a pleasant good afternoon to everyone. I am so thrilled to see you all here today as we prepare to engage in what I consider to be a battle of freedom and franchise, to select the leadership of our democracy, to step up our participation in what will no doubt be the most consequential election of our time. We have the power to shape our own destiny and everything we do over the next 16, 17 days will determine what our children and grandchildren will say about us in this generation and in generations to come. Anything short of record-breaking votes from the Caribbean community will be an acquiescence to our fears to our powerlessness, and to our hopelessness. It will reveal our hypocrisy about who we say we are and what we are all about. And it'll be a slap into of the face to all who have sacrificed for us to be here in the United States of America and bestowed upon us 
the honor of shaping our own destiny. When our children and our grandchildren ask us whether we voted in the historic election of 2020, we will be able to look them directly in the eyes and say that they inherited a greater civil society and nation because what? Because you voted. What will be our place, our role in shaping our nation's history? Well, it all depends on what we do to empower those who feel powerless, embolden those who feel fearful, and give hope to those who feel helpless, and educate, elevate, and enlighten those who are clueless. My name is Congresswoman Yvette D. Clark, and I am proud to represent the New York's 9th Congressional District, that's Central and South Brooklyn. And today I'd like to speak to you briefly about the impact that we Caribbean Americans will have on this upcoming election. As a child of immigrants, both of whom hail from the beautiful island nation of Jamaica and a first generation Caribbean American, I've seen firsthand the ways in which the politics can shape our communities. The votes we cast will select leadership, our country and our future. Our participation in the democratic process is our fundamental right as citizens of this nation. It's our franchise. It is what enables us to shape our own destiny. And the decisions we make this November may very well have lasting ramifications for our children and all others who call the United States their home. That is why I'm urging each and every one of you, regardless of your background, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of where you live, how you pray, or what your political affiliation may be, to make your voice heard this November, 16, 17 days. And in many parts of our nation, the election season has already begun. So we have multiple opportunities to be influencers in our beloved Caribbean American community and make sure that everyone who is eligible to vote is out and voting because we're all stronger when we rise to the occasion. And as a Caribbean American, I don't think there's a more audacious group of people here in the United States of America. We pride ourselves in our identity, our work ethic, and our engagement in society. That engagement will only manifest itself when we use our franchise. Everything else, we're selling wolf tickets. We are essentially talking the talk, but not walking the walk. And in this era of Black Lives Matter, we have to step up. We have to engage. We have been engaged. So many across this nation have been engaged in activism. That activism will become real, lasting, power, strengthening our democracy, because each and every one of us as individuals who stood in those crowds, who confronted the system, then turned 
and went to the ballot box to make our preferences known. As we continue to show up at the polls, show that this country, we do have a voice and we are going to shape our own destiny and that we will be heard. Now, perhaps some of you are standing here today and you're still unconvinced of the impact that you could have on this election. Well, let me make it clear. Unequivocally, your voice matters. As one who sits in the halls of the Congress, I see each and every day how communities organize themselves in order to impact our decision-making. That begins with our engagement and voting and exercising our franchise. Last year, several states came down just to a, a few thousand votes in a country of over 300 million. Allow that to sink in for a moment. The, the last year, several states in the, in, in the midterm elections came down to just a few thousand votes. So every vote counts. If just a few thousand people decide to sit this one out and let others do the work for them, we are risking sacrificing our democracy, our vote, and our voice. And then we have to ask ourselves a question, whether we deserve a democracy. We earn it with each and every vote that we cast. So today I tell you that, that, that we have the power and that it's time in this historic moment, in the midst of a tr transformative pandemic that has touched the lives of millions of Americans, that we make our voices known. Because aside from federal elections, we've been given a tremendous opportunity to shape our local communities through our votes, from local elections to state level to the Congress, all the way to the very top. We are blessed to live in a nation where the voice of the people can be translated into the law of the land. But this is only possible if you raise your voice and cast your vote. So this November, it's our time to shine. It's our time to say, we are here. And as my mother would say, we're not going no place. So regardless of how you feel about any particular candidate, do your research, be informed, and ask yourself some questions. Have you looked at trusted sources for information? That's all part of being a responsible citizen and being prepared to cast your ballot. Then enter the, the polling booth knowing that you have been given the opportunity to make a difference in shaping this nation and carve a path forward for our people to see how we fit into the future of this nation. Our children and our grandchildren will be asking us the question, how did we vote in 2020? Let us not say with our eyes averted that we did not participate that we did not do everything to undergird and strengthen our democracy. Elections matter. Your voice matters. 
And now I understand that this has been a very crazy year. And in the midst of a global pandemic and economic turmoil, we are casting our ballots. I admit that this is not the simplest time to make a plan to vote or stay informed on the issues, but we have to be focused. We can't be distracted. It is our duty to do so, even when the circumstances are less than ideal. Fortunately, we all live in a nation where they've provided opportunities for us to vote by absentee, by early vote, and indeed on election day. This is especially helpful for those who have helped major health concerns, our elderly, and our infirmed. For those of you who wish to vote absentee, please remember that the deadline to request your ballot is coming up swiftly. Check your local jurisdiction to determine what your deadline is. Here in New York, it will be Tuesday, October 27th. From there, you must postmark your ballot and it must be received by Tuesday, November 3rd. In New York State, that's Tuesday, November 10th. So you may also return your ballot in person at most polling stations. Let me just close now by saying that I really appreciate the fact that we have come together to educate, to inform, to engage, to embolden, and to empower our communities. The Caribbean American community, we must stand up. We must stand out. We must go to vote because indeed that franchise will make the world of difference and has made a world of difference in the liberation of our people and the communities in which we live. So to each and every one, thank you for having me. God bless, bless up. One love, walk good. Thank you so much, Congresswoman Clark. We, I don't think we could have, any one of us could have said it better. We thank you so much for your service, for your work. And you have really, really set the path and set the tone for what we know will be such an amazing discussion. We plan to walk good. We'll be in touch. And thank you so much. You're free to stay on. Um, all our panelists can start jumping right in. They're filing in. And again, so excited to have this dynamic panel with us. All of these folks are Caribbean American. The purpose of this event was really to do something for us, by us. And I'm so excited that we're all in community together. Uh, like Representative Clark laid out, all of our issues are on the ballot. It is so important for us to turn out and to vote. And we're going to dive right in and get to the discussion today. So we're going to start with having all of our panelists just do a quick introduction. They all have extensive bios. Um, so I'm going to have them do a quick 10-minute intro about themselves, their work, and then we'll kick off the questions. So why don't we kick off with Maurice introducing himself, then we'll move to Melissa, followed by Marlon, and then Michelle. Thank you, Deshana. Thank you, Countrywoman. So happy to be with you all. Um, and, and thank you, uh, Congresswoman Clark, for that, that great grounding. I, I, I was so moved and inspired by that. And you're absolutely right. The, the franchise is ultimately about our liberation. My name is Maurice Mitchell. I'm National Director of the Working Families Party um, and a proud son of immigrants from Grenada and Trinidad and also um, a long-term organizer um, 
started in on the south shore of Long Island in Long Beach, went to Howard University and continued organizing in DC. And now um, I organize all around the country um, and was one of several folks who helped to build uh, the Movement for Black Lives in 2014 um, and continues to work in the Movement for Black Lives and party bills all around the country to create the conditions for everyday people to be able to run and win on progressive issues. Really honored to be with you. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, first, I would just like to thank um, everyone uh, who has joined us. Congresswoman Clark, that what an introduction, what a call to action. Um, you really feel like you energize us. I am Melissa Noel. I am a multimedia journalist and Caribbean correspondent, proud first-generation Guyanese American. Um, I uh, really take my role as a reporter uh, very seriously um, in, in the fact that I center my work around uh, telling stories of the Caribbean, its diaspora, and the wider Black diaspora. And, and I've worked in network news uh, since 2007, and it has been uh, my honor as well as you know uh, my challenge to ensure that our stories are being told at the network news level. Um, and ensuring that we're not only hearing about the Caribbean American voice when it has to do with, you know, something that's negative, where there has to do with hurricanes, and that's the only time we hear about our people. So it has been my honor to do that. Um, I have been covering elections in the U.S. since uh, the 2008 presidential election uh, when I was at Howard University, um, and now I've had the honor to continue covering not only the uh, presidential elections, but um, our local elections as well. And even seeing how these things interact both with the elections that take place both in the U.S. and throughout the Caribbean. So um, I'm really excited to be here today and um, yeah, look forward to this conversation. Thank you. Marlon? Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you, Deshauna. And thank you to the organizers of this great national conversation. I'm coming to you from the most important state, in the Electoral College, New Yorkers, 29 electoral votes, um, fighting to, um, for our democracy. And I'm an attorney here in Miami and also um, a host of a program called The People's Politics. I want to thank also the community partners that joined this conversation for us, the Institute of Caribbean Studies, Dr. Terry Nelson, the Jamaican Diaspora Organizations as well, um, where I served as the um, advisory board member for the Southern United States for a few years. And these days I like to continue to serve as an advisor to Caribbean students um, across the state of Florida and across the country to make sure that they stay engaged as well. Um, look forward to this great conversation. And for everyone, please go and vote early. As Congresswoman Clark said, uh, we're not going anywhere and we need to be here. Thank you for having me. Good afternoon, everyone. I am so actually filled with joy, and that's really the only way that I can um, describe what I'm feeling. First, because of all the Black excellence that you see today, um, I am forever in awe of Congresswoman Clark, who is a dear personal friend and mentor. Um, many of you, I spent much of my career on Capitol Hill, both on the House side, working for Gregory Meeks from New York, and then Senator Gillibrand, um, from New York on the Senate side. And I will tell you, Congresswoman Clark um, is a fierce fighter and defender for everyone across the state of New York, but particularly for her borough. So you should just really know how hard um, and how often she carries us on her back. And I'm, I'm forever grateful for her leadership. 
Um, my name is Michelle Jawando. I have the honor and privilege of representing um, for Bermuda, small little, little island, and Jamaica um, today, and um, also representing for the real HU Hampton University. <laughs> That's for you, Melissa and Maurice. There you go. Homecoming weekend. Um, but I am uh, so grateful. I'm I'm an attorney by trade. I'm currently at um, uh, Google, but I'm here in my personal capacity today as a public policy strategist, um, attorney, tech innovator, um, and also someone who is just deeply committed to this work. Um, I really my story starts in growing up and seeing on the small island of Bermuda my family deeply immersed in the civil rights movement there, and when I think about my grandfather leaving his country of Jamaica, going to London, meeting my grandmother in Bermuda, and then coming here, first in Florida, there you go, Marlon, and then coming to New York, that is a quintessential American story. And yet for so long, our stories are, sh are told in the shadows and not being connected to the true American story. And so Caribbean Americans are fiercely a part of who this country is and the greatness of everything that this country does. From innovators, designers, lawyers, activists, we are a piece of the greatness of this country. And so I'm excited to talk about that today. Um, I recognize that I walk on the shoulders of lawyers who've gone before us, Constance Baker Motley, um, so many others who really their leadership has paved the way for me to do the work that I'm doing. I'm so excited. You probably will hear one of my four children at some point today. I can make no promises, but I'm so happy to be with you today. Thank you so, so much. I am so excited to jump right in. So like we see in the Caribbean, we're cooking with glass, uh, gas, but I realized that I didn't heal my own island, hailing from Trinidad and Tobago representing the 868, and I'm so excited to have this discussion. Okay, so while we have the Congresswoman still with us, I'm going to sit uh, pass this question off to you, and then Melissa is going to jump in because she's already started talking about our identity and the narrative. And we know that this election is critical. We know that the Caribbean American, uh, Caribbean Americans have contributed um, significantly um, to the economy, our labor and our influence is so present in every sector, as all of the panelists alluded to when they when they kicked it off. So from Stokely Michael in Movement Week to uh, Shirley Chisholm, who we all love so dearly. And I know Congresswoman Clark, you always lift her up at every chance you get. Now that we're here, what does this mean to the Caribbean American voter? What does it mean, particularly when we're looking at a potential vice presidential nominee that has Caribbean American heritage. So we've had Caribbean Americans that have been showing up to vote, that have been talking about it, have been cheering so many of you on as you step into your offices unapologetically Caribbean every day. So now that we're in this moment, Congresswoman Clark, I'm going to kick it off to you to kind of share what does this moment mean for the Caribbean American voter today and present at this time, 16 days out before election. And then we're going to go to you, Melissa, to kind of add some context about the narrative. So I think that what, what this moment means is that uh, we have met a certain level of maturity as a, an, an immigrant cohort in that we have engaged in just about every single election uh, going back to the 60s, right? The ultimate uh, concern is how much are we expanding 
sort of that power tool? How, you know, how much are we making sure that that maturity uh, accrues to uh, directing our destiny as so many other immigrant groups have done in the United States of America? I think about the fact that whenever there's an issue that's international in nature, uh, in Washington, D.C., I will be visited by individuals who are immigrant, but generations later in the United States advocating for the support for those international efforts that the United States make. We have a power tool that will enable us to not only speak to what we need here domestically, but also direct policy as it relates to the Caribbean region. That is the ultimate maturity of the Caribbean American franchise. And so when we flex our muscle in this upcoming election, when we strap to ourselves what I call our power tool, which is our franchise, in our numbers, go out and cast our vote. We are lifting up, maybe in some cases, the the margin of victory that enables us to be able to direct our power at our interest. And so that's what the vote is all about. Uh, You know, my, my colleague, the Honorable John Lewis, used to say it's almost sacred in a democracy. And so when we uh, are focused, informed, understand the influence and the power of votes in a, in a democracy, that is when we have fully engaged as citizens of the United States of America. I'm going to close quickly with this because, uh, you know, many of you may be aware that I'm part of a mother-daughter duel. Uh, My mother was actually a trailblazer here in New York City. She was the first foreign-born woman, not only just Caribbean, but first foreign-born woman elected to the New York City Council. I succeeded her in office. But my mother won her first race by 36 votes. If 37 people decided, nah, man, you know, me can't go out there. I would not be sitting in Congress today. Our voice at the federal level engaging in policy that helps direct immigration policy, helps direct international policy, helps provide resources locally for small businesses and entrepreneurs, fights for the rights of our workers who are essential and on the front line. All of that happens because we decide we're going to go out and flex our franchise. So let's get out there. Let's vote. I didn't mean to go on that long. I'm not here to dominate. I kick it back to our host, Deshana. Do your thing, baby. Thank you so much, Congresswoman. We appreciate you always. And again, giving us context. And this is the purpose of the conversation, right? So you are more than welcome to stick around chime in and jump in. We know you're going to get pulled to other events, but this is 
our house, our space, and we're having a community conversation as a Caribbean American family. So we're so grateful for you setting the tone. Shout out to Dr. Una as well. She's a legend. Uh, Melissa, so Congresswoman has definitely set the tone, laid it out. Take us away with identity, culture, narrative. You have been tracking our issues, spearheading our issues, both here in the U.S. and even so in the region. You can often kind of keep up with Melissa trying to figure out what island is she on now. And then she comes back and brings the message back and keep that, uh, keep our Caribbean American, U.S. Caribbean American relations also strong. So tell us about the narrative. Tell, tell us about the identity. I'm kicking it off to you. Yeah, thank you so much, Deshauna. I think that um, we have a very unique opportunity as Caribbean Americans at this moment to um, we're in a position where we are going from the, the group that's often uh, little talked about in the when it comes to politics. Right. We hear about the Latino vote. We hear about the black vote, but we don't and we haven't really heard about the Caribbean vote or the Caribbean American vote. And now we have a real opportunity where that is actually changing because Caribbean Americans are in some of the biggest swing states, you know, Georgia, Florida, what have you. And we have the opportunity to really make the difference. As the Congresswoman was saying, Congresswoman Clark just said, if it were not for those 37 votes, she may not be in her position that she is today. That is real. And when we look at the numbers, you know, and I'm going to use Florida as an example. You talk about the Jamaican community there, the Haitian community there, the Trinidadian community there. It is critical. Those numbers do not lie. And uh, we have that opportunity to tell our story and tell it by the numbers. And what I mean by that is ensuring that when we get to a place where we talk about media coverage, right? I, I can tell you that I've been following very closely how the narrative has picked up where we weren't seeing the Caribbean American voice or vote really included before the VP nominee was actually picked. Now I can pick up to see the Associated Press, you see political, you see what have you. And there's all these stories talking about the Caribbean American vote. And why that is, is because there's the recognition that not only do we have the numbers, but we definitely have the engagement. Caribbean people are very involved when it comes to politics, you know, but people were not paying attention maybe in the same way that they should have been when it comes to mainstream U.S. news. But now that this has happened, we are using that opportunity to tell our stories by the numbers. One thing I'm going to bring up is the census. This was the first year that you were able to not only identify by race, but to identify by country of origin or ethnicity, that is going to be huge for our Caribbean American community, uh, particularly for people uh, like myself, who are first generation Caribbean Americans, people who may be second generation, what have you, to be able to identify with where they are from and to be able to see that reflected in not only policy, but in funds, right? So that's one big thing. And then uh, on this, the second thing is we have so many Caribbean Americans who are involved in politics, who are running for office. We need to see by the numbers that their, um, their campaigns get the kind of funding that is necessary to actually go out there, fight and win, especially for the issues that are important to our communities. So when we talk about narrative and we talk about um, our identity, knowing that we have the power but then going out and actually use that power to not only influence when the elections come, both at the presidential, um, local, state levels when it comes to Congress, but beyond that, right? Like, you know, after this presidential election is done, we still have things that are going to be happening in our communities that we have to stay involved in. And we have to make sure that in the media, that that Caribbean American voice or that Caribbean massive is a part of that conversation always. 
Amazing. And you said something so very key about staying involved, right? And talking about this is not just for our presidential election. I know earlier on, we talked about that. It's also important for us to look at the dong ballot races. Also important for us to support Caribbean Americans that are running for, for office and also support people that are running to keep our issues at the forefront. And as we're talking about running for office, so pleased to welcome Anton Andrews, who is a Caribbean American running for office in Pennsylvania. We've been talking about Pennsylvania. Um, he's running for District 160. Welcome to the conversation, Anton Andrews. And we're going to get there, get to you to ask you a question soon. But let me go back to when uh, Melissa talked about what it looks like after election, right? So you have people that go, okay, fine. Y'all are here getting me excited to vote. Y'all are talking about the issues. Everybody's repping their islands and their flags and all of the fun things. But let's talk about a word that we haven't mentioned yet, accountability, right? So we've often heard that outreach to Black voters are not inclusive. And when we talk about the, the Black voters and that voting block, it includes Caribbean Americans, it includes Black Americans, it includes Latino, uh, uh, Afro-Latinos, all of the things, the diaspora. So we've often heard and we often hear that that outreach is not inclusive, particularly at, as it pertains to Caribbean American voters. How can we ensure that we continue to hold our elected officials accountable? How can we ensure that we continue to hold organizations accountable, campaigns accountable, and ensure that we have a seat on the table? So not just when it's election day, all of a sudden the coverage is around us because Florida is at stake and Georgia is at stake and Pennsylvania, but how can we ensure that after election day and even in our off-cycle years, but we have a seat at the table for as Caribbean Americans? And I want to kick that question off to Joanne Antoine. Hey, uh, so welcome everyone. I know that I've got, uh, it seems like Haitians in my DMs, just like, why haven't you introduced yourself? It was an oversight. So I am part of the planning committee. And in planning, we did not put my name on the list. So <laughs> uh, introducing myself, my name is Joanne Antoine. Obviously I represent uh, Haiti. Um, I uh, am based in Maryland, uh, but grew up, uh, born and raised in New Jersey in a large Haitian community in Asbury Park. Um, I am the executive director of Common Cause Maryland. Um, for those who you might know Common Cause, we're in uh, Florida, uh, New York, uh, all of the major states. We are a nonpartisan watchdog organization uh, that is working to hold power accountable, right? So it's a fitting question. Um, now, this is a conversation, actually, I think when I first met Deshauna, we were always talking about identity and just um, how a lot of times when you're looking at campaigns, um, we didn't feel like they were talking to us. Right. Even as a Haitian American, someone who was born in America, when I see uh, a coordinated effort, you know, focused on African-American outreach. Right. It doesn't feel like you're talking to me or my parents. Right. Or that you are thinking about, you know, the issues outside of um, immigration, you know, outside of those things. Right. A lot of times, you know, I'm waking up in the morning and I'm not just checking news in Maryland and in the U.S. I'm looking at what's happening in Haiti and uh, back home in the region as well. And I think. You know, some of that, unfortunately, is because we as a community do not understand our political power. Right. We um, are you know, we are quick to uh, become citizens. Right. We are active voters, um, but we stop there. You know, and even though they are organizing uh, efforts in New York, in Florida, I think those places are unique. Um, our people have realized how much power they have there very early on and they tapped into it. You know, we still you know, don't play active roles in the political parties that we're part of, 
Um, we don't show up at town hall meetings uh, after we voted on that member of the council or that mayor. Um, we aren't asking, you know, for our local governments to form commissions, right? Here in Maryland, for example, we formed a um, the first commission of its kind, a Caribbean commission, and we let it fall through, right? We let it fall through. It doesn't exist anymore. So a lot of times, even when that organizing is happening, we don't um, we don't take advantage of the seat that we've been provided. So I think we need to do a few things, and um, candidates who are running need to as well, right? I think when we're looking at the party, when we're looking at uh, candidates, you need to make sure that your outreach to Black voters is the, just that, right? That it's an inclusive effort, uh, that you are using terms like Black, which is okay, um, because it allows more of us to identify, you know, with, um, you know, the platform that you are setting. You know, I would say if you are creating a Caribbean council within that, within your campaign, which happens a lot, making sure that the council actually has some power. You know, what, what we've seen happen in the past when we're looking at um, some of the presidential uh, candidates, they form councils and then the people who sit on them are frustrated, you know, because the candidate won't come talk to us. You know, the candidate won't, you know, organize with us when we want to do events in certain communities and so forth. So I think, you know, if we are leveraging our political power, meaning that we are giving money, <laughs> right, which is a big deal, right, putting money behind the candidates that we believe in, right, and money doesn't need to meet, be big checks. It could be $5 that you are signing up to give every single month, right, um, and that we are you know, doing things like signing up to help with voter registration, signing up to get out, you know, the text and phone banks and so forth. When they begin to see more of us helping with these efforts um, to organize our own community, I, I think then, you know, what's happening today will continue beyond, you know, this election. I think, you know, right now is unique. Um, we have, you know, Kamala, Senator Kamala Harris, who is, you know, of Caribbean descent. And I think that's why we've got a lot of this attention. You know, her um, chief of staff is Haitian. A lot of her, her advisors, you know, are of Caribbean heritage as well. But what happens after that, right? Um, if we aren't, you know, continuing to do outreach similar to what we're doing right now, I think it, it's, they're going to go back to their old ways, right? Where they are only coming and talking to us, you know, during the peak of GOTV, when they want to swing by our churches and say hello and access to vote. So, you know, I'd say if you're listening, um, you know, give a few dollars to the candidate that you say you believe in. Join your local party. Um, you know, write a letter right now to your council member and ask for them to create a Caribbean advisory group or a commission in your state, you know, so that we have a, a very intentional group of individuals who are thinking of the ways that, um, you know, different laws and legislation are being passed and impacting our community. Yeah, thank you so much, Joanne. I think Joanne, you hit on all of the things um, that I expected you to hit on anyway. And uh, one of the things that she kind of talked about also, and the word that she used, takes me to our next question. When we talk about leveraging our power, what does that look like? When we talk about building power, people have been dropping that leveraging power, building power, building movements, right? What does that mean? And we know right now, um, a lot of the attention is on the swing states like Florida, like Pennsylvania. And we have uh, Marlon Hill, who is here with us, and um, Anton Andrews, who's running. So to both of you, and Marlon, I'll start with you, and then we can move to Anton Andrews. So in swing states like Florida, like Georgia, uh, like Pennsylvania, they're getting constantly elevated in the news. They receive a significant amount of resources because they are the states to watch, right? 
but Caribbean Americans were there. We have higher populations there. We reside there. Um, I always tell people everywhere that there's a carnival happening in a major city in the United States, you can guarantee that the Caribbean American population and community is there. But now that we know that, how can we ensure that Joanne kind of pointed to this, but how can we ensure that we're not just building and leveraging our power at those times? But what does it look like in those states when the cameras are gone, when the election day is over? So let's start off with you, Marlon, and then Anton, you can jump in. Thank you for showing up. Um, you know, what it looks like, and permission to speak freely, right? We, we, we're in an open family here. We had Thanksgiving dinner. Um, we need to be honest with each other in terms of holding each other accountable, right? Yeah. Every immigrant community grows over a period of time. Um, we have multi-generations. Some of us are born here and some of us are not born here. Some of us are Black, some of us are not Black. Some of us are Christian, some of us are not Christian. Some of us are Democrats, some of us are not Republican or not de um, Democrat, right? So we are racial, multi-religious, um, different types of values, but our numbers are increasing. Right, our numbers continue to increase, not decrease, right? And the census is gonna tell that out, um, you know, thanks to the work of Dr. Nelson and other organizations. So what it really looks like to Sean is that we have to have more collaboration. This chat this afternoon is um, an example of that. Different organizations with different missions, um, different um, resources, um, and located in different geographic locations, right? So we have to collaborate more. We have to communicate more. and need to deliver. We have to deliver. And what does deliver look like? Does it, does it look like? Joanne mentioned, are you donating any money to the campaign that you believe in? Are you volunteering, phone banking, texting during this COVID-19 period? And most importantly, are you voting, right? The numbers are going to tell whether or not um, we will win Pennsylvania or whether the tens of thousands of persons of Caribbean descent living in Philadelphia and the suburbs of Philadelphia will be voting. Even more so, the folks who are here in, in Florida, yeah. numbers, Deshauna, well over 600,000 persons of Caribbean descent, driven primarily by those from Trinidad, Katy, um, Jamaica, and the other Caribbean islands. Are we voting, right? And it is not enough to vote 50% or 60%. You have to be voting 80%, 85%, because you guys know that, unfortunately, we are the center of political drama with elections less than 1% separating anyone who wins. Um, President Barack Obama won Florida only by less than 1%. Yeah. Won Florida less than 1%. So Caribbean people here in Florida consequentially could have a significant impact. But in terms of accountability, we have to do better in terms of communicating with each other, collaborating with each other, sharing information, and not forgetting that we are part of the Black diaspora. We are also part of the Asian American Pacific Islander diaspora. And we need to figure out how to dance that salsa and to dance that zuka and kumpa because we have this, our hyphenated existence is complicated. Well said. Uh, Anson, do you want to jump in there? You are running, right? So you are currently running for office, right in the thick of things, right there in Pennsylvania. Talk to us. What, how do you think we should be leveraging our power? Because some of that is also electing our folks to be able to, to, to put our issues at the forefront. So, Well, thank you for the opportunity. And I think leveraging our power and flexing our muscles in a district, my district, that's 80% white, um, 
The fact that I am on the verge of becoming the first person of color ever to represent this district in a majority Republican district speaks to the fact that part of flexing our muscle is creating that story that is unique and universal. To say, I came from a working class family who so believed in the American dream, they started over in the States so that their kids could have a shot at the American dream. That's something that resonates throughout this district. And also at the same time, as you talk about all the resources going into swing states like Pennsylvania, I'm a living, breathing example of that. Um, In 2018, I came within a couple hundred votes of being a 24-year incumbent. In 2020, we're up in the polls. And the reason is largely because of a lot of outside groups, whether they're targeting immigrant communities like second generation, whether they're targeting liberal um, thinkers, whether they're talking progressive action, police reform around Black Lives Matter. Those groups have all allied with my candidacy. So they've added their voice to my candidacy. So I think the natural extension for how we flex our muscle is by collaborating not only within our community, but people who align with us. And there are so many groups at this moment who find the story of a working class person, somebody who's committed to social justice, somebody who will say Black Lives Matter in an all white district. Um, those are the, the natural allies that push us over the top. The second part of that is the one part of flexing our muscle, and I jump in late, so I may miss this. You cannot underestimate the power of literally flexing your muscles. Volunteers are worth their weight in gold. My campaign manager became my campaign manager because I kept bumping into him last year at events, doing phone calls, knocking on doors. And that ultimately, that one-to-one voter contact, That's what the money is buying us the opportunity to do. The money is saying, I can send my message in through your TV or your screen or on your phone. If I can get a voter to your door, that's seven to eight times more effective than any television or mailer. And we've calculated that based upon what we've done the last several years. So if you can get a handful of voters, I mean, a handful of volunteers the way I have with a lot of members of the African and Caribbean diaspora in my neck of the woods, those people are going to be the ones who take you over the top. So that's another way to flex your muscle, even when you don't have a majority of the voters in your district. If you have a majority of the elbow grease with the sort of support mechanisms that are now in place, the barriers to entry have never been lower. So I would encourage anybody who's even thinking about it, Get yourself a couple people, whether it's your sister, like I did last time in 2018, and my cousins who came up from New York or came down, I should say, from New York, get a couple committed volunteers, find your natural allies, and get out there and put the work in because you will get the support, especially in areas, like I'm saying, where there is you know, heightened awareness of just how important these seats are. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And volunteers are invaluable. I've done several campaigns myself with over 10 years in politics and I cannot stress the importance of how much those volunteers showing up with the yard signs knocking on doors texting making phone calls makes a difference and also I would you know amplify but that is that is the way you get involved I know we've kind of talked about giving money grassroots donations go a long way you're probably thinking like 
oh, we have to give $100, $200, five. No, that $5, that $2, that $10, that $20 goes such a long way. Thank you for that, uh, Anton. You want to say something else? <laughs> Oops, sorry. No, go ahead. Um, yeah, those small money donations, as I am getting money from large stakeholders where labor is coming in with large checks and stuff that I wasn't even sniffing last time, what they're telling me impresses them and the metrics they're looking at is the broad grassroots support you have. So a lot of $5 donations as opposed to one chunk $500 or $5,000 donation speaks a lot more to the fact that you put the time into your community where enough people know you that they will give whatever it is of their hard-earned money. So absolutely do not sell yourself short in terms of your donations because people are keeping track of those small money donations, those grassroots efforts, because those are the campaigns that big stakeholders want to get invested in. Yes. And I know Joanne definitely wants to jump in on this piece. Joanne, we're going to keep your piece tight because I want to also get to um, some of the legislation and the issues because Anton, you talked about how it's important to build community, how it's important to align, how it's important to pretty much build a multiracial coalition. And I I have to kind of credit our Caribbean upbringing for that because when we look at the Caribbean, it really is truly a melting pot. So bringing that hair sets us apart to be able to kind of engage differently and have conversations differently with different people, different backgrounds across the board, right? So Joanne, jump in there on Anton, and then I'm going to go to my next question, which I'm going to direct to Maurice and the Congresswoman. Daria, I know that they are saying time. I just wanted to, again, just stress the small dollar piece. You know, in places like New York, uh, we do have public financing programs. You know, I'm not sure if folks are familiar with it, but it's where you're giving, you know, small donations and they're either matched you know, at the local level or the state level and so forth. So just understanding, you know, that you might live in a state where your $5 is now $45 for that candidate, which allows them to be a lot more competitive. So give the small donation. People power is real. All, not just candidates, our organizations could not do work without all of you. So if you're not involved, get involved today. Thank you. And that's a great point. So let's talk about the issues. The issues are on the ballot. We're constantly hearing they're on the ballot, right? But then Caribbean Americans can often feel, well, our voice doesn't matter. Um, as much as we're having this conversation here, we're talking about, you know, we also have to recognize that we have our undocumented brothers and sisters, right, that are also probably sitting there thinking, well, I can't vote. I can't get to the, to the polls or people that are currently green card holders who are probably saying the same thing. Like, how can I get involved? It doesn't even matter. I can't vote. So when we're talking about legislation and when we're talking about the issues that are on the ballot, whether you are naturalized, whether you are undocumented, whether you are green card holder and you feel as though your voice and your vote does not matter. Maurice, uh, you have been spearheading a lot of movement work across the country for such a long time. Talk to us about how Caribbean Americans can understand that their issues are in fact on the ballot and how even those of us who probably are not yet able to vote, how they can uh, continue to stay involved. And as soon as Maurice is done answering that question, Congresswoman Clark, I'll kick it back to you because I know you know um, better than many of us because you've been seeing the bills come across your desk um, and you've been advocating for the rights of all of us, um, especially on immigration. But when we're thinking about immigration, when we're thinking about healthcare, when we're thinking about housing, when we're thinking about student loans, how it's all connected. So Maurice, let's kick it off with you about legislation and then we'll move to Congresswoman Clark. 
Thank you so much for that question. And I think it's really important for us to talk about the vote, but actually talk about democracy. Democracy is something that happens 365 days every year, right? The vote is critical, but it's just one particular tool. And, you know, growing up in an immigrant household, you know, my grandmother came here as a domestic worker. I just grew up with this idea that you use all the tools. Like we we didn't throw away things, we reinvented things, and we used all the tools at our disposal. And that's how we should approach democracy. So some of us are naturalized, some of us uh, are native born, and we have the ability to vote in, in our elections. Others might be green card holders, others might be undocumented. If you're here, you could still flex the muscle of your democracy, right? So you could speak out and protest and engage. You could do direct advocacy. As uh, Congresswoman Clark knows, you know anybody who lives in her district, Congressman Clark is responsible for, for those folks. If they're undocumented, if they are native born, if, if uh, they are folks who are green card holders, and you could go to your representatives directly and engage them both uh, before election day and after election day. And we have all of our resources. So I'm so happy that folks brought up small dollar donations. Absolutely. Your volunteer time. Right. So you could volunteer. You could be a you could be a, a volunteer and inspire other people to vote, even if you can't vote because of your your status. That is something that you could get involved in immediately. And then also you bring your unique perspective. So I think about issues like healthcare, And, I, you know, I wonder, you know, my, my mom is from Trinidad. How can a how can a tiny island nation like Trinidad pay for universal health care for all of its folks? Right. How can a tiny island nation like Cuba export doctors and produce drugs right for its population and the largest, most powerful, wealthiest nation just north of those countries can't do that? So we have a perspective that says, yes, we can do those things if we choose to do those things. Racial justice. Right. Countries like Trinidad and Guyana that are very, very racially diverse and all the all the countries in the Caribbean are very racially diverse. Right. How are we able to to hold the complexities, the, the racial and ethnic complexities, and form a, a unified national identity. We have tools coming from those perspectives. So we should see those perspectives as being useful in the American conversation. Um, so, you know, we talk about the issues, the things that folks in the top 1%, the things that folks in the ruling class want us to do is simply go and vote, right? There's people who reach out to us during GOTV time in order for us to vote. And then after election day, we just go back to business as usual. We cannot do that, especially in 2020. Hopefully after all the years of Trump and Trumpism, we understand that we need to be an engaged population and engaged electorate every single step of the way. The last thing I'll say is, and this is from um, a Trinidadian, Stokely Carmichael. He says, organize, organize, organize. Yeah. Right? right? And so what are we doing to organize our own institutions, right? That is democracy too. A very robust civil society has organizations and institutions. If you feel like in your democracy, um, you don't hear your voice, it's your job to organize the institutions, the independent political institutions that could speak to your voice and then combine the power of those independent political institutions in order to really flex that muscle. And the last thing I'll do, because I know there's a lot of people in New York, an example is the New York Working Families Party. We have our own ballot line. A, a Caribbean-American sister, Sharon Cromwell, is the, is the deputy director. If you're voting, if you're voting for, for Kamala 
and you're voting for Joe Biden, you could do that on the working families line. That's a way, that's a strategy for us to demonstrate that we have collective power um, and, and show that collective power on the ballot. So there's so many different strategies that we could use. We have to use all the tools and use them together and nest that into a, a power building strategy from the, from the grassroots. Spot on, spot on. Okay, Congresswoman, you want to chime in there before I kick it over to Michelle with my question for who? I, I, you know, I really think uh, Maurice pushed a whole lot of the buttons. Yep. The other thing that I want to say, though, is that, you know, voting in the United States for Caribbean Americans, for Black people, I think in, in many instances, it's also tied to self-esteem. You know, when you feel powerless, when you feel disenfranchised, when you feel hopeless, uh, you, you often put up defenses. And part of those defenses say, why should I even vote? You know, when I when I hear someone say that, I dig into the sentiments behind it. Because what we have to do is tap into that space where individuals understand that their self-worth can be manifested through the power they have to direct their own destiny. When you feel helpless, you feel like, oh, they're going to do it to me. Well, here's the thing. If you don't take any action at all, you're guaranteeing they're going to do it to you, right? Take the risk. Use your power. That's what I try to explain to people because it's very difficult to argue with someone that's going to say, oh, they all do that anyway. Well, when's the last time you voted? You know what I'm saying? Because I'm Jamaican. Let's put it that way. We are boasty people. We boast. Mm -hmm. we, we, we make everyone think you got to be afraid of we. We courageous. I, I also, patience. First free, you know what kind of ass kicking was going on in Haiti for them to be the first yeah. free black yeah. republic? And then you're going to come to America and be like, oh, I'm scared. I can't cast my vote. Oh, I can't call someone to have them go out and vote. You're going to act scared. You're going you, you're gonna to lose it all. When you have the power at your disposal, I just wonder whether it's a psychological thing with us because we make excuses for not engaging in our own liberation. And it's not enough to be in the street. It's not enough to be in the street. I, listen, many folk went into the streets. But a lot of things changed because people got the vote. A lot of things have changed. Now, how do you take that to the next level? And tell me a little bit about your self-image. Because if you believe that you can direct your own destiny, that in a democracy, you don't make a difference, then you're already saying something about yourself and how you feel about yourself and how you feel. Why would our people give up everything they knew to come here yeah to come here for us to be like oh i don't know whether i'm gonna vote or not are you kidding me are you kidding me and and then you know the question was asked well what can folks with the green card do get your citizenship dang you've been here over 15 years already come on get your citizenship what can the undocumented do? Call your friend who you know got the vote and ask them to vote for you. That's what you can do. Yes. That's what you can do. We can encourage each other. We can empower each other. We can enlighten each other. We can make a movement to the poll. We can do a straight beeline. 
But we got to get our folk out of this fog that has been created to dissuade them from voting, to discourage them from using their power. That's how the, the, the that's how a small group of people can maintain power in a diverse and exponentially larger environment. It's by fear. It's by stripping someone of their self-worth. Listen, if you have been touched by this pandemic in any kind of way, you need to be out there voting. Full stop. Period. Full stop. So I'm going to step down off my soapbox here. Let the so young people say what they got to say. And let me, <laughs> let me just thank you for having me. I might have to slide off, but I, I just wanted to put that perspective out there because I'm tired of answering that question. Yeah. You know, what's in your best interest? What's in your self-interest? And how much self-worth do you have? How much do you care about your family? How much do you care about your people? Then set the time aside and go out and vote. Well said. Perfectly said. Thank you so much, Congresswoman, for hanging out with us, chatting with us, and making it plain. The Congresswoman said earlier, she tired. She don't want to answer this question again. Don't let her have to come and talk to our community again to answer this question again. She has made it plain. She has broken it down with the help of Maurice. They are there doing the work. The question has been answered. I have one more question for Michelle, um, who introduced herself earlier on, is amazing. And Michelle, now we have all of this information. We've heard resources. We've gotten our marching orders. But there is a concern, right? Because now we're virtual, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We have someone in the White House that has been sharing a lot of different things um, about what they think voting um, should be and what it is. So now that there has been an increased concern regarding the spread of misinformation to voters, what advice can you share with folks that are chiming in, listening to us as we're having this conversation of ways to identify that for, uh, false information, of ways they can fact check resources. And then also, I know you have a wealth of information and knowledge that you can also add to this conversation. So Michelle is going to tie it all in, bring it, it all in together, ensure that you are also actively prepared to be able to identify false information and not tuning in um, to the wrong channels or platforms or whatever the case might be. And then uh, we will share some of, those, some of those resources after Michelle answers that question. Michelle? First off, I, I, I warned you when I was on, the, on Capitol Hill, I mean, you saw Congresswoman Clark in action, but that's every day. You know, I, I reflect on that time quite frequently because at one point I was, on, I was one of only two Black people who were the chief counsels out of 100 United States senators our voices are just not present in these places. And that's why I think it is so important for us really to understand our power and when we speak, what that means. You know, I my husband is now an elected official. He's Nigerian and Nigerian and white, very similar. He worked for President Obama in the White House. His wife, his name is Michelle. We're both lawyers. So we, and we met doing this work and he was the first Black African um, to represent our area where we live in Maryland. And so I think to, to Anton's point that we often forget that literally hundreds of votes make the difference between first 
historic representation and having someone who believes in the status quo. And quite frankly, this country was designed and set up to work for the status quo. At the origination of this country's founding, we were not included in the constitution, the historical document on the basis of which this country was founded. So when we ask why do these systems and don't seem to work for us and why don't we feel represented? Because we had to write ourselves into the narrative. We had to physically put ourselves back to center our experience. And so when we think about why are things sometimes not working, you have to understand the system was not set up to work for us. And so now we have to reorganize, rethink, reimagine, and redefine these systems so that they work for us. Now, I will tell you, I spent the beginning of my legal career uh, working on election protection and voting rights, doing voting rights litigation. And there are a few resources that I'm tangibly going to give you. But let me just tell you three things off the bat. Pay attention before you tweet Post on, post on Facebook, on Instagram, to the sources where you're getting your information. Now, memes, we know in 2016, the Senate Intellig Intelligence Committee identified that there was a Russian interference campaign that was targeted, targeted at the Black community to put messages of divisiveness, to really play upon the division in our country. That is fact. And so before you spread information, pay attention to the authoritative source where you're getting this. Does this seem a little bit out of the ordinary? One of the things that Google set up is called a manipulated media image. You can literally Google and say, is this an actual image? And it will show you where this picture came from. If you see someone who looks a little fuzzy or something doesn't make sense, you can literally Google that image and ask, is that the right image? So I would say pay attention to authoritative images. All of the social media platforms this year are doing that. Facebook has something. Google, if you search where to vote at the top of your screen, it will have what's called the one box that will give you information. But in addition to the social media platforms, a number of nonpartisan organizations are engaged. You can go to 1-866-OUR-VOTE because let's be clear, sometimes grandma is not looking online, but we want to make sure she has resources. So 866-OUR-VOTE or 866-OUR-VOTE.COM is a nonpartisan election protection coalition effort. Common Cause is a part of it, Leadership Committee on Civil Rights, NAACP. A lot of our advocates that we constantly work with work year round together, making sure that they're inputting information. They work with organizations like ours, other trusted sources like Democracy Works. You can find out information on where to vote, how to vote, how to get there. And one of the things that I, we're also seeing this year are efforts to physically get people to the polls. So lift.com, if you go to lift, L-Y-F-T.com backslash vote, they are actually providing discounted rides to voters in key areas. So they will literally give you money that you can take off your ride to the poll 
in certain communities. And you can go to that website that Joanne put in the box. The other thing that I will say is there are local organizations and groups, depending on where you live. I think I saw Detroit is in here and I saw um, folks from New York. A lot of the affiliates of Common Cause, Working Family Parties have affiliations with local organizations that will set you up. So when I say pay attention to where your sources are, go to the trusted accountable people in your community. And let me leave you on this. We each have a role to play in our own liberation. Protest is often thought about as the catalyst for social change. And so many of us were out on the streets as we we had to, again, look at the horrific murder of, of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. That is a part of the catalyst for change. And if you look at the American story, the civil rights movement, what happened is you saw these huge movements, but the next step was the legislative process. Right. And so each of us have a role to play in every part of our own liberation. You begin at the ballot box, but it doesn't finish there. The next piece is pushing for legislation. We need to make sure that when the COVID vaccine comes out, that it gets to our communities. Because when we're talking about a healthcare system that is privatized, we need to make sure that we are getting access. How do you fix that problem? You call up your local elected officials, local, state, federal. I would like to better understand what happens when we get a COVID vaccine. I want to understand why Black women are disproportionately dying from in childbirth. What are you doing about it? These issues are preeminent, and it is up to us to say we demand a legislative solution. And if you have now, I will tell you, all skin folk and kin folk, okay? So they just can't look like us <laughs> and represent us. But when we have folks like Anton, when we have folks like Congresswoman Clark, if we have folks like my husband, Will Jawanja, who are out there and you see a demonstrated commitment to our issues, you can trust them to be advocates, but they need you to donate to support. And I know earlier someone in the chat dropped, why don't we hear Kamala talk as much about her Jamaican identity? She does, but sometimes the media doesn't cover it. That's why we need people like Melissa and we need our own voices to carry these messages and the narratives because we will sometimes get erased. So what I will really just want to encourage us is, again, pay attention to your trusted sources. Listen to the community members who you see their leadership and also help to demystify this program. Listen, a lot of young brothers and sisters are just like, I don't know. If you're in New York and you have served prison time and you come back out, you might not know that your rights are, rest are restored and that you can vote. People have shame around voting. Some people are 58. They've never voted. It feels too complicated. Maybe they have literacy issues. Some people have problems in crowds. Talk to people one-on-one. -on -one, demystify the problem. Open up your heart. Give people grace. And the reason we are all pushing so hard, I have been working in democratic politics for 25 years. Literally since I got out of law school, I've been doing this work. I have never seen an election that is that important than this one. This can change literally the face of the country and the world. Foreign policy, healthcare, immigration, education, it's all on the ballot. And we have to do our part to get people there. But I just want to thank you because I recognize we're all zoomed out for doing this all during the week. 
but I appreciate you taking the time on Saturday and I appreciate you saying that you're going to do your part um, over the next 17 days. Thank you so very much, Michelle. I knew when we were planning this that you would be the perfect person to close us out and connect all of the, the all of the things. Like I'm, I'm sitting here kind of like at a loss for words and in awe because you talked about us being, you know, Zoom fatigue is real. Like we're all Zoomed out. And I know that you, Melissa, Maurice, Marlon, Anton, you all are getting pulled in a million directions. Joanne is, is, is an executive director of an entire organization. Um, but yet you all are here. And I love that all of the participants that sign up today are still here. Like they're still on Zoom and they're still engaging. And that is just such a testament to who we are as a people. We're staying plugged in. We're getting the information so we can get out there and vote. So Michelle ran through a couple of the uh, organizations that we wanted to kind of point out and offer as resources. So we have a slide where we're going to put up for a couple seconds where we can recap some of that of those resources. I know Maurice dropped a couple things for the work he's doing with working families. I love following the working families party ticket. Last night I was looking up my sample ballot and looking at candidates that were endorsed by working families party. Um, I know Michelle uh, pointed to some things. Uh, so one of the key things that the Congresswoman says said, make a plan to vote. So register to vote. Check on your voter registration. Weigh your options. Are you going to vote by mail or in person? And we want to point out that those of you who have yet to request your ballot, obviously now that we are 16 days out, you're getting ready to vote in person, right? You're going to do some early voting. So if you have your, and those of you who do have your ballots, make sure that you're mailing them in. Um, and if you need um, nonpartisan information about the candidates and questions that you have on your ballots, as we know, a lot of states have different ballot measures that they are pushing. You can visit vote411.org. Um, I know we have a next slide with our hotline um, number that we want to share, 866-R-VOTE. And that's the election protection hotline. If there's any issues, is there any questions that you need answers to? feel free to call that number. It is here on your screen. I'm sure folks are dropping it again in the chat. And to just kind of wrap us up and give us a call to action, I want to turn it off over to my sister, my Trini sister, Kyra uh, Valley, who is going to give us some additional next steps. Thank you, Deshana. Thank you for having me. And thank you, everyone, for joining this conversation on a Saturday. Uh, like Deshana said, my name is Kyra Stevenson Valley. I'm Trini. Uh, I'm also Jamaican. I went to school in Trinidad. Shout out to all the comment girls who joined the call. Um, and I just have some quick action points for everyone. I'm a policy advisor at Reverend Al Sharpton's National Action Network. So I'm deeply rooted in the civil rights movement. I'm an activist organizer here in DC um, and really committed to bringing up the next generation of activists and organizers as well. I think as Trini and Caribbean Americans, we come from a long history of people who have been fighting for freedom and fighting for liberation from Toussaint to Marcus Garvey to Stokely Carmichael, uh, all, the, all the way up to Audre Lorde, right? We do this work and we know how to get it done. Um, but a huge part of that has to be voting. We can't just show up in the street. So with 16 days left to the election, I really encourage everyone to use today and use all of the energy from this call to come up with a voting plan if you don't have one yet. 
I know we can plan a carnival. We can figure out which section we're going to play in, which band we're going to jump up with. So you could take that same energy and figure out your voting plan, whether you're voting by mail and you've already requested your mail-in ballot and you're going to send it back, or if you're planning to vote early next Saturday, October 24th, is National Vote Early Day. Um, it's an effort to get everyone to vote early. If you have your mail-in ballot, we really encourage you to send it back by that, that point as well. Um, I also encourage you, if you are able to vote in person, please consider becoming a poll worker or a poll monitor just so we can have those poll openings in our communities. Um, it's really important. A lot of times uh, the people who would take those poll working positions were our elders who have been disproportionately impacted by this pandemic. So it's on us to really fill in those gaps. I also, there's an organization for the Florida voters among us called Avance Ensemble. They're hosting pull-up voter drives this election season. So if you're in Florida, you have questions. They're located everywhere, all throughout the state. They'll be helping voters. If you're not in Florida, please dedicate the election protection hotline 866-R-VOTE to memory. That's 866-R-VOTE. If you have any problems at the polls or if anybody you know has any problems at the polls, call on them um, and we'll get it rectified or at least noted. If you have any questions about creating your voter plan, feel free to contact me. I'm always available. My Instagram is at Kyra Valley. I'm happy to talk voting and yeah, happy voting, happy democracy. Looking forward to the other side. Thank you, Kyra. We will see you on the other side and we will see you at the polls. Uh, I want to hold for a moment. We still have our panelists here. If you have questions, feel free to drop them in the chat. I know that some of our panelists spoke a little earlier. So panelists, if you have any burning thing left that you want to say, I want to respond to this. I want to respond to that. Let me jump in here. Feel free to jump in. The floor is yours. So I do see Kiana Dixon, you asked us a question. Are we going to continue this discussion post-election? I, I have great news for you. The host committee has already been talking about how can we continue to collaborate? I know Marlon pointed out to that earlier on, in the, earlier on in the discussion. How can we continue to collaborate and do more of this? I see Lorna Johnson on. Hello, the Honorable Lorna Johnson. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, but you, um, we know that, you know, we're a few days out from election day, right? So right now we're focusing on pushing everybody to the polls, pushing our people to the polls, making sure they have their information, making sure they're connected to this amazing panelist. When you're thinking about, you know, who do I know, um, uh, is a policy expert, you know, that you have Michelle, who do I know is on the forefront of working families party. I'm sure you've been seeing them. and had no idea it was a Caribbean American. <laughs> that was their national director. You have Maurice over there. When you're looking and you see Melissa on the news and reporting on, on our issues, you should be chaining on Melissa and following her, who is continually, continuously keeping our issues at the forefront. When you're wondering about voter education, you have Joanne, who is up to date with all the things. I still ping Joanne when I'm trying to figure out I've moved back to Maryland after being done with Senator Elizabeth Warren's campaign from Massachusetts. And I literally was like, Joanne, I need to get back in a gear. I need to figure out who I'm voting for. Give me a sense of what's going on in Maryland. When you're thinking about who can I support and how 
well, who are our candidates running for office? I know Maurice uh, pointed out, like looking at working families ticket, but then you also know Caribbean Americans that, that are that are running. You had one here that you were interacting with and talking with today, Anton Andrews, support him. Send your $5, send your $2, it matters. Marlon uh, elevated uh, 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 Florida as well. And I see he's raising his hand. So Marlon, do you want to jump in here really quickly? Go ahead. Well, first and foremost, I just want to thank the planning community again for bringing us together. Um, we talk about the technical things about um, the elections, volunteering, donating, getting involved, getting our hands dirty. Those things are very important for our community. We are traditionally not activists at that level. That has to change. Okay, we have to get in the game in terms of donating, raising money. Um, we have to get involved with the game in terms of being a part of the field GOTV campaigns. But Dr. Nelson Deshauna mentioned something in the chat. That's also very important in terms of just writing the policy. We need to also be part of accountability as to advancing what is it, what is it going to be, what's in it, what is, what's in it for us as a community, really, right? And what is our collective shared vision? It's a very important question. I would like to put out there, there are three things in my mind that I think that are going to be important for us. One, we're going to need to recover from this COVID-19 period. Our small businesses, our families from a health standpoint, what is the Caribbean American COVID-19 recovery agenda? Um, number two, I think that we need to um, look at um, what is going to be important for the Caribbean region as well, because our extended family members in the region in terms of our resilience, disaster preparedness, their COVID-19 recovery, how do they play into their relationship with the um, Commerce Department or the Treasury Department or whatever department that's going to impact the region? And last but not least, this um, issue of um, collaboration and communication in regards to the diaspora, um, whether you're born, born here or born in the Caribbean, our involvement as a diaspora um, needs to be reinstituted back in the State Department and the other um, department government as well. So those three things um, should be part of the conversation of a shared vision for agenda, irrespective of who wins um, the election, quite frankly. Um, but um, many people here on this call, um, our community is very diverse, but we need to know which candidates from the top of the ballot to the bottom of the ballot are going to be advancing, helping our community to recover and to be prosperous at the same time. Well said. And I think like, you know, if anything, there's excitement here and this table setting that we've done here today really sets the tone that post-election, no matter what happens, we have community here, we have community with each other, and we have leaders in the community that are knowledgeable, that are experts, and are doing the work. I know that I have, I'm keeping myself accountable to ensure that we continue to have conversations like this, not just election day, but whether we're planning, whether it is, you know, we on WhatsApp, you know, whatever it is we're doing to ensure that we can continuously come together, not just around this moment, or not just when our organizations are hosting their separate things. We know it has Caribbean American Heritage Month and all the other things that are, that are happening, but we also take time to plan and strategize together as well and build power. We're going to have Joanne just drop a couple other things. I think she wanted to highlight um, one other thing or share something else. You're looking at me like, no, oh, yes. uh, I mean, oh, okay. all right, let me know. And there's a lot of things, not enough time. Um, but I think you know, really quickly. So after Joanne, we're going to hop to Vanessa, who is going to acknowledge our sponsors and close us off. Feel free to post questions if you have anything left for us to answer. But I just want to give folks a heads up of what is happening next. Okay, so Joanne, then. Yeah. Um, Vanessa. And I will probably loop in uh, Michelle Joando because I, I was actually in the chat with her. 
um, you know, I think in our community, a lot of folks are expecting results on election night. This election is completely different. So I'll pass it to Michelle, just so that you all aren't waiting at home, like what is happening? (laughs) Yeah, very quickly, we should anticipate that in many of what are considered swing states, Florida, Pennsylvania, uh, Georgia, we will not see uh, results on election night. Um, And we completely recognize that there may be some litigation involved in many of the the statewide races. Um, And I will tell you, because we've seen the advent of vote by mail and early voting, um, that there may be some things that are unaccounted for. Now, what can you do? How do you handle that? Don't get scared, okay? Our, Our democracy is very decentralized. Each of our local board of elections um, are almost fiefdoms unto themselves. So one of the things that you can do is if you voted earlier, you vote by mail, you can go on your local board of election and you can IC and track your ballot to make sure your ballot is counted. If you live in a state like North Carolina, recognize that African-Americans, Black people, we are getting calls back because we haven't been, um, we've had the highest rate of return ballots. So, but because election day hasn't happened, you can fix your ballot. So just double check with people in North Carolina if you hear about that. Again, one our vote you can also contact. We fully expect the Democratic Party as well as the Republican Party will both have election efforts, but you can definitely reach out to the nonpartisan efforts. The other thing that I will say, and this is a question that persistently came up, like, what is our agenda? What are some of our legislative issues? Listen, I think you can't be a Caribbean American and not think that foreign policy issues, particularly for green card holders, this administration has been particularly challenged um, in opening up the numbers of visas that are allowable across the diaspora. So I think those are issues that we should advocate on behalf. I think, again, health disparities continue to play out in our community. Um, Some of the great work around working family parties about housing access and what that means. And I think that in this administration, the three things that we have heard from officials, senior advisors in and around the Biden and um, Harris campaign is COVID-19, economic uh, economic recovery, and also racial justice and equity. And so what does that mean? So expect to see questions around um, uh, uh, criminal justice reform, um, uh, higher ed, student loan reform. And if you have an issue that you don't hear about, reach out to the organizations like Common Cause, Working Family Parties. Can you help be an advocate on this issue that I haven't heard about? And again, when I was in Congress, I didn't see a lot of us come to talk to me. I was the only Black woman out of all 100 senators representing for a United States senator. I would have loved to see all 63 people on this chat come into my office. That would have been a game changer. So recognize your voice matters. Other people came in my office every single day from 9 a.m. to about 7 p.m. Marlon can tell you, uh, we need your voices. We need your participation. We appreciate you. Thank you all. Thank you for certainly taking the time to join us for today's programming. And on behalf of the host committee, um, that would be Deshauna, Deshauna Bernard, Joanne Antoine, Mona Lee Belazer, Sherlyn Oliver, and myself, Vanessa Butler. I would like to thank our sponsors. Our title sponsors today are Caribbean Cargo DC and Caribbean Political Action Committee. Thank you again for your support and encouragement 
Um, we have various influencers. Um, again, we would like to thank co-sponsors and promotional partners um, who are listed here on, on this slide. Um, also want to do a special thank you and recognition of again, Honorable Lorna Johnson for being a, a promotional um, partner and influencer. Thank you again to our, our, our various media sponsors, as well as Crows and Comms, who offered their support on the production team, as well as um, our, our, our graphic artist, um, Mr. Mikhail uh, LaRose. So thank you again all for joining us. Please look out for further information on our website. Um, you can see um, and or reach out to the various host committee members here. We will also post this um, on our website and as well as Twitter and our other social media platforms. Again, with thank you, certainly please make sure to make your plan, vote early and certainly or otherwise make your plan to go out to vote on November 3rd. Thank you again, make your voice heard November 3rd. Have a lovely evening all. Thank you all, see you all at the polls. We'll do this again, keep us accountable. You've been listening to Carry On Friends, a show about the Caribbean American experience. We post new episodes every two weeks. And if you want to learn more, buy merchandise, or sign up for our newsletter, check out our website, carryonfriends.com. You've been listening to Carry On Friends, a show about the Caribbean American experience, produced by Breadfruit Media. We post a new episode every two weeks on Tuesday. And if you're looking to learn more, buy our merch, or sign up for a newsletter, check out carryonfriends.com. Or find us on all social media platforms at Carry On Friends.